the Frontline Gaming Network presents the Kill Zone Podcast. The Kill Zone Podcast. With your hosts, Miranid 40K, Sheldon from Kill Team Stream, and Emmanuel from Strategic Advantage. Tournament news, tactics, and strategy. Tune in every week to hear real talk for competitive Kill Team. Get ready to enter the Kill Zone. Like the intro just said, you have entered the Kill Zone. Welcome back, returning listeners and those of you new to the podcast. This is Bearnet 40K, and I'm joined by Emmanuel Mitsunikos from Strategic Advantage. Hey, everybody. And the big TO in charge of many major U.S. Kill Team tournaments, Sheldon Steer, also known as Kill Team Stream. Annyeong, hasayo. We've got a great show for you today. <laughs> First up, we're talking about modeling and how that can play out in tournaments with both kit bashes and the concept of modeling for advantage. After that, we'll have a segment called, What the heck are they doing? Seeing into the future and predicting or even controlling the enemy's plans. So stay tuned because the Kill Zone podcast is coming your way right after we pay some bills with these messages. At Frontline Gaming, we make the best tabletop gaming mats in the universe. Our mats are durable, rollable, foldable, wipeable, and storable. Oh, and they look damn great too. Join the thousands of tournament regulars and garage gamers who use our mats to bring their gaming surfaces to life. To ensure quality, Frontline Gaming mats are custom made one at a time. Printed with high quality ink, our immersive designs stay crisp and are available in a wide range of styles and sizes. So whether you're playing a war game or skirmish game, whether you're fighting over an alien tundra, fantastical forest, or real world setting, there's a great looking battlefield for you. Our gaming mats are printed on extremely durable neoprene backing, so they won't slide around the table, and they're thick enough to stay flat, protecting what's underneath and allowing for slight uneven surfaces. We know from experience that an easily portable gaming surface is just better. Every mat comes with a sturdy nylon zip-up bag for storage and transportation. Whether your next battle is in your home or at the local game store, you'll be able to unroll your FLG mat and get gaming right away. Our products are all made and tested by passionate gamers at Frontline Gaming HQ right here in the USA. It's time to take your battlefield to a new level. Frontline Gaming, champions of tabletop. All right, we're back. Bills are paid, and it's time for some banter. We've got a few minutes to talk about what we've been up to. Who wants to start first? Uh, I'll, I'll um, start. I... Oh. Okay, <laughs> I guess Sheldon will start. I was really excited about my idea, but go for it, Sheldon. I wanna, I wanna uh, start branding these Sheldon's time twister moments because I'm doing all the the last minute stuff for Kill Team Open. <laughs> I've been painting Necrons and Admech for my family to play, so it's been really fun getting oh, all that's that stuff. Fun. Cool. Yeah. We, we've been doing a lot of these time twister moments recording maybe about a week or two before these episodes come out because Sheldon's a busy bee. It's just like, you know how tax season uh, for anyone who's an accountant, like if, if they're accountant, they might as well not exist until after mid-April. Like that's January and February and now in, probably into March. A little bit for your recovery period for Sheldon because it's a lead up to LVO. It's a lead up to KTO. Aside from the fact that also the lead up to KTO, poor Sheldon's driving across the United States yeah. to get there. This, uh, I don't, I don't know how you do it, man. I start the journey tomorrow. It's gonna be, it's gonna be insane. I don't even. Hopefully, I make it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Good luck, man. How about you, Emmanuel? Anything uh, going on this week? Well, um, what finally arrived, I had ordered it the moment that uh, <laughs> that GW said they're raising Blood Bowl prices by 20%. Um, <laughs> I've had my eye on the Snotling Blood Bowl <laughs> box for a long time because, I mean, I, I think I've bought six or seven of those grot boxes and i've really pushed that grot sprue the the couple <laughs> sprues that come in there i've really pushed that i think as far as i'm gonna get it but snotlings one of my favorite kit bashes i've ever done is the the requisite turning a run third into a weird boy every wow. single orc player dis well not every single but most orc players dislike the current weird boy that we have 
It, it's strange, the kinetics are weird, the chain makes a very abrupt angle that he's kind of flailing around. It just, the model doesn't, the sculpt is not, it, it doesn't, doesn't work for me. So there's a ton of third party ones out there that are really cool and a lot of people even use the orc shaman from Age of Sigmar oh, and yeah. just glue a bunch of gubbins to it to make it look nice and 40k-ish, right? That's a good um, model. But I, it, it's a it's a dope model, especially the smoke. And if you wanna if you wanna make him an evil son's weird boy, visions of the smoke as one of his things, you can make it like all put some pipes in there to make it look like he's holding a giant exhaust thing. <laughs> I've had ideas about converting that one, but because <laughs> I give about 10% of my attention towards 40k and that's being generous. <laughs> I don't want to do, I didn't want to make a weird boy <laughs> that expensive for a system that I'm probably not gonna engage much with, to be that's honest. That's fair. So, um, so I turned my run third into a weird boy. I'm getting back to snotlings. Um, so I turned my run third into a weird boy and there's a random snotling that came on the rocket truck squig buggy, I think, that he's like sitting there cheering. He's like, yeah, we the best. And he's got like one foot up. So I have him sitting like with his foot on top of the foot of the run third cheering. Like he's like nice. his biggest fan. Like, ah, you got this boss, done jump, woo! <laughs> so ever since that, I'm like, I need more of these snotlings. It's just like little, like they're the nerglings of orcs. So why not adorn all of my champion models with their biggest fans, all these little snotlings. So, so I got that. Um, I got that instantly the moment I found the news for that. And that box just came today, so I'm very excited to dig into it. It might appear on my Corsairs in the future. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> We've already got one going to the dark side, everybody. Mm -hmm. Mark your calendars. All hail our new Corsair overlords. I want to hear what you were doing, uh, Chris, but first I just want to acknowledge that I had a great transition there. To say if you put him on his head, that would be modeling for advantage. Yeah. So you know, old Beernit. Um, no modeling whatsoever. But um, <laughs> spare moments have been spent on uh, looking for passy stacks, gearing up for the KTO, hmm. and uh, realizing that there is still so much more to learn about this team. Um, you can run them so many different ways. You can go, you know. Uh, real aggressive, real, you know, point positional type cagey. Uh, you can go flip mid game and go certain ways. I found a way to get a pseudo five APL on the leader. Like what, you know, <laughs> just some of these things, you know, you guys know, I like the engines and this yeah. team is full of them. So and, nice. and before someone accuses you of not knowing the rules that it's maximum plus one or minus one, you're talking about the amount of actions that you can right. actually do when you stack in all the free stuff that you can yes. add in there. So you're not actually giving a, a two APL model, yes. five APL before anyone starts angrily typing in a comment somewhere. What? Yeah, <laughs> he did it again. No, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a two APL model becoming three with uh, some some free stuff that he gets to do. Nice. Yeah, uh, yeah that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Did that give you an advantage? So, I don't know. Sorry. The last one was... You could <laughs> say just building the model gave me a model for advantage. <laughs> We're really going to force that segue yeah, I know, right? in our <sighs> way. That's like a crowbar right into the conversation. Model for advantage. Why don't uh, we just start talking about it then, huh? I just really want to yeah. talk about it. <laughs> oh, me so, too. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, so I think this is actually a two-parter because uh, this one segment we're talking about modeling for advantage and kit bashing, and there actually is mm. a bit of an interplay there uh, because, you know, that's kind of how modeling for advantage kind of happens, right? As you, I mean, it might not be actual kit bashing where you're taking from a different set to put onto these guys to make something else, but, you know, maybe it's uh, uh, changing the model in some way to, to provide some advantage, right? Yeah. So for anyone who's not familiar with the terms, it's helpful to kind of define them. I found that I am the Webster Dictionary of the podcast. I, yes. <laughs> I, I Tell us more, Emmanuel. To jump in there just to find these terms. Well, here we go. So By the way. Kit bash. Um, 
I don't know. Is that a noun, a verb? I don't know. I, it would be a I, verb. I, I, yeah, it would be a Kit verb. Bashed would be an adjective, I believe. Oh my god. Right? You could also I'm have a kit bash be I'm not here to read. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, that is true. Maybe. I don't know. I'm trusting you. But anyway, kit bashing <laughs> is essentially combining bits that aren't part of the instructions to make something unique. I think that's the most general way that you can define it. Now, modeling for advantage isn't necessarily kit bashing. It can also be a change to an existing model. And the whole idea of modeling for advantage is changing the exact model with the intent of flexing on a rule or a gimmick in the system to your advantage. And mm -hmm. yeah. they share a little bit of common ground because you're altering the models as they are in the kit in the instructions how they're supposed to be built but they're you know put a wedge separate them a bit they're not always the same thing and oftentimes they're not so helpful just to kind of know what we mean by that i mean right and it's oh go for it buddy oh i mean there's even the possibility that you're not modifying it you're just using an older kit that has different dimensions as well like uh mm, for true. instance uh the rail uh, rail rifle that's laying on the ground from like days long past <laughs> right and that kind of gets to a point that i had on this is that um there are things in the game that are just technically at an advantage just by how they come modeled right so this is something that uh could happen naturally this is something you could endeavor to create um and or you know there's times where uh like uh, for example you know sheldon you know as uh you know one of the bigger tos out here um that uh like you're usually allowed to go up in base size but not smaller right mm -hmm. yeah. um well the issue is that what that does is it lets you make a prettier base um i actually had an issue with that one time because i had a bunch of gene stealers when the first edition came out that i put those pretty bases on and I was unable to, you know, when all these hot new teams were coming out, I was unable to finagle and finesse just as quite, you know, the amount that was needed. So I actually had to return back to the legal standard, what comes with the guys uh, and have those smaller bases. Yeah. Because, you know, with, with having bases that are just shy of an inch with a 28, 28 millimeter or 25 millimeter, excuse me, you could have actually pinned two people in melee at that time or squeezed into a better hiding spot, something to that effect. You know, so uh, it was actually better in game for me to be using the models as they came out of the box rather than how I wanted them to be all pretty. And so technically that would have been modeling for advantage as well, because I went back and <laughs> ripped the bases off those models to give myself <laughs> back the advantage I had given away uh, by creating the scenic base. And that's an important point you make that it's not necessarily an alteration. It's not necessarily a modification too. Um, when I test kit bashed my first grot tau, um, I tested the height against the kneeling pathfinder. There's mm -hmm. a pathfinder that's reloading his rail rifle and he's kneeling, um, if I remember correctly, or he's reloading something, I don't know. He's kneeling um, and it's the same height. And I said, okay, so technically, my entire army is legal with this kit bash because they're technically all the same silhouette as a legal pathfinder. And yeah. you could stretch that and say, well, I could have bought 10 pathfinder boxes and only used that <laughs> one model the whole time. And I would have had a completely legal team, but that, that itself not so much in this kill team because a little bit of height actually helps you with the line of sight and visibility. So ignoring the fact that it's not actually an advantage, but doing something like that by spamming the same actual model cast that is positioned in a way that gives you an advantage in the rules is not technically illegal, but it's still modeling for advantage. And we've danced around why this is even a topic for a while. So I'm sure we're gonna get back to it in a second, but what, what do you have to say about that, Chris? Oh, I was just gonna say that, you know, sometimes it 
is intentional and sometimes it is fairly egregious. Like mm-hmm. uh, somebody asked Elliot uh, a couple LVOs ago, he's TOing, uh, co-TO of LVO, about cutting the drone stance one year. What? Uh, yeah, they wanted to, because <laughs> oh. they, they figured that the drone being up so tall would give visibility that that would not be an issue with mm. if they were like, you know, really, really stubby, uh, really small. And he was like, yeah, no, if you do that, we're not going to let you play. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's an obvious, like, wow, that's, that's pretty bad. I mean, to be yeah. fair, there are some, I think there's like a really small, one of those, um, stands you can get in one of the kits. Like, mm-hmm. like, I don't remember which one, but like, I think the drone ones are tall, but there's some that come with like these little tiny ones. Yeah. Those are for the recon, I think. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. They're, they're. You know, the recon drone is already super tall, so they give him a little tiny, you know, little street yeah. cone to sit on, uh, and and that keeps him, you know, about the same as the other drones. So that, that's like a very egregious example, and I think that highlights, like, where this falls out of the gray zone, because I get asked a lot, and I get pinged probably, like, once a week when someone's asking kit bash questions. I get mm. pinged to give my two cents on <laughs> what an appropriate kit patch can be for um, for tournaments. So that's the other end of the spectrum. There's a gray zone in the area, which I'll talk about in a moment, but one end of the spectrum is a clear, like I am going way off the deep end to give myself an egregious advantage or the way that I do kit bashes where I, I'll talk about it in a moment, but there's also the other end of the spectrum that I'll get into. Hopefully they're asking you to kit bash orcs. <laughs> Usually it's not actually. Sometimes it is. Sometimes I, I get orky in the chat just to try and convince them. It usually doesn't work. Yeah, one time I had this. Uh, I was, was talking to my friend. Uh, it was one of my first my first practice partners uh, that had this really gross idea. I can't remember. I think it was Admex, something like that. And uh, it was just going to destroy stuff. It was. I think it was when it's like, oh, six plasmas. You can take six plasmas. I remember saying, I was like, dude, if you do that, I'm going to go buy like 10 of those gene stealers from Space Hulk that are just coming out of the floor, right? But it's just like a head and a hand. And I was like, that's going to be my team, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. But no, that's uh, just I a funny, funny thing. I bought six Admech boxes last edition just so I could have six plasma because you couldn't buy them oh, on eBay. So you had to literally buy yeah. the full kit. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) rough, rough. So um, to talk about the kit bashing on the other edge of the spectrum, there's there's a few things that if you're making your own model, if you're worried that someone might say it's like, oh, you're modeling for advantage or because I've actually got that at a tournament. Uh, I'll tell you how you get around that. So that way you don't get any um, upset, grumpy, sweaty people on the other side of the table from you Um, because it's really fun. It. Kill, kill team lends itself to this, right? It's yeah. you're, you're, you can focus a lot of energy on a very custom, a high effort um, kit bash that um, really makes your guys stand out. I, I did not even touch my two sets of Octarius orcs yet because I love how unique my commandos look against everyone else's and that's that's what a lot of people like to do this kit bashing stuff for so it's not just yeah. like me where i want to make everything orcs but the the rules of thumb that i use is that WYSIWYG, which for someone who doesn't know what that is what you see is what you get 100 percent has to be followed and the overall silhouette of the model that you are going to be using this as a proxy for should match as closely as possible or be bigger and number three, the base size should be as close to the official base size of the model that you're looking for um, as you can. Um, the the WYSIWYG is a challenging thing sometimes, especially if you're trying to do a different theme. Like if I'm doing orcs, but I want them to have power weapons, um, you can't just give them just a chop and just say, yeah, it's a power weapon or a chain blade and say, oh, it's a power weapon. You sometimes have to do a little bit to be in good faith with your opponent that these are clearly power weapons. Um, I like putting some little greebles or some spare guitar strings on the side to make it look like there's wires going on the side of them. <laughs> Things like that that you can do to try and preserve WYSIWYG as much as possible. Yeah, and you're, you're talking, just so you know, we're, we're clear on this, you're talking about like, let's say you're trying to make an orc 
count as a space marine or something, right? Like you want them to have looted some stuff or something. So instead of just using a choppa, you would be like gluing gubbins, maybe painting it blue and things like Mm -hmm. that so that you can tell it's a power source. So you can really sell it. And and the way that I go with it, it, honestly, at least from an orc perspective where my stuff's easy to understand. Burn a boy, what's he do? He burns. Like, I don't have these <laughs> sterilizers that Alex always says. Like, what do you mean a sterilizer? What is he sterilizing? Oh, he's a flamer boy? Why don't you just call him a flamer flappy boy? Let's make things simple, right? <laughs> but I think I think my mind goes to trying to oversell the WYSIWYG, almost to the point that my kit bashes are actually easier to tell what they do than the official models. And, and that's a good extreme to kind of go to if you're ever worried that someone's gonna be upset at you for not using official models and then the other side of it is just making sure the silhouette is as closely approximating the silhouette of the official model if you're not just making minor minor alterations to just yeah i love kit bashing and and like making a model look like unique like making all my custodies out of the um limited edition uh age of sigmar uh champions and stuff like that um but there's a another side of uh modeling for advantage that a lot of people don't talk about and that's uh like magnetizing all of the loadouts of like a potential model you know if you have um uh, you know, a guy that could take four or five different guns, you know, if you magnetize every single one and then paint them all so that you can just clip them on, you've like modeled for advantage in your <laughs> play style, you know, and that's right. kind of, it's not as much to pack, which is an advantage. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Yeah, that is a very unique perspective on the topic. I like that. (laughs) My mind did not go to that at all. Um, And then I've actually seen people do this. This is this gets into a little bit of the gray zone area, but normally where a uh, arm would sit in a shoulder now that it's magnetized. I've seen a lot of people that would have dynamic poses that are just kind of like the arms are down and straight down. (laughs) So it's like, you can't see me, you can't see me. And you can only do that with magnets. And um, that gets into like one gray zone thing that I did want to mention with with modeling for advantage where it's not a clear egregious, like this is, Mm -hmm. you're obviously trying to pull a sneaky on someone and it's not me overcompensating with my kit bashes, but a gray zone thing is altering war gear. Like I've seen people with um, Drakari models with those big whips, snip the whip, rotate Ah. it around. So that way it's kind of in a closer cylinder Um, or trimming a gun barrel. So it doesn't stick out as much. Okay, reset the clock. This actually was a problem in Legion early on. (laughs) People. It had only been two days. Come on. (laughs) People uh, were actually snipping the ends of the Z6 Z6 troopers. Mm -hmm. It was like a big Gatling gun kind of thing. Trimming the barrels down so that way they were a lot smaller. And so, so it's not just a unique kill team or Warhammer thing. A lot of people modeling wherever true line of sight matters. Doesn't matter anymore in Legion, but that's another topic. Um, Meanwhile, I'm the, over here uh, adding birds to stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just making it more visible. But You're yeah, making that, bearded so that, want your models. Yeah, yeah. So that's where the, it starts to get a gray zone. Is snipping and rotating the whip around honestly a egregious and bad and should be banned honestly from my perspective i don't really think so i think that's fine trimming a arquebus rifle down so that way it looks like a little sawed off shotgun so that way it doesn't stick out as far yeah that's probably too far so that it's <laughs> it's it's like that famous quote like i know it when i see it kind of thing right yeah. yeah so you're talking about like changing the flow or the like aesthetic of the whip totally fine shortening gun barrel bad basically yeah Which, because the, the overall volume of the model sure like you could put an arm up an arm down with an orc right that's a decision and one is an advantage one's a disadvantage with the whip right. you don't have that much freedom but you're not changing the volume that the model takes up just technically speaking you're not changing the amount of plastic on there so i think that's okay but by purposely shortening a barrel so it doesn't stick out that that's a little smart yeah and you know it can be a factor in this edition because um you know, uh, line of sight being drawn from the head of your model to any part of the enemy would mean all those aerials, backpack antennas, you know, the tau mm-hmm. little uh, things on the side of their head. Actually, had somebody target me through one of those recently. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, those all of those things confer some kind of advantage. One thing I would like to say, um, you know, just uh, we, we've all played a lot of tournaments here, been involved in a lot of tournaments. One of the things I don't want anybody who's listening to this that's kind of new to the tournament scene to be thinking that, oh, crap, this is a thing because uh, or as m maybe more than it would be. Because the fact is that you don't see modeling for advantage a whole lot, you know? No, so if you're listening to this, you're thinking, oh no, I was so excited to get into competitive, but it's this cutthroat world. You're gonna be <laughs> fine, you know, you're okay. Uh, what is more problematic for me actually is I when the models become so div <laughs> yeah. new mark. <laughs> uh, uh, What's and more problematic for me, yeah, is when the models are so divorced from stock that it's actually difficult to keep track on the other side. Um, that happens a lot and it's somebody mm, just yeah. chasing their whimsy. They're not even trying to do that. What it often comes from, I've seen the worst, is somebody trying to save a couple bucks. Like, I'm going to use D&D &D minis for some yeah. Imperial Guard guy or something like that. And that is just not... All a... my models. <laughs> well, even that, you know, it, it's different because you can change your scale and get that 3D print bang on or something, whereas like something else, you know, or it's like a bunch of the same, that's just... When I can't tell what the other thing is, it's not a fun game for me. And I honestly hate that every time. And honestly, the standard is for a long time has been like, look, TOs, they say, as long as the gun is correct, yep. usually it's going to get approved. But to be honest, the model has more rules than a gun does. And you kind of need it to be clear. So I like what you said about like same silhouette, similar size. I, I like um, like uh, your pronatus for your sisters uh, your your novitiates that you're building is a really good <laughs> example because it's actually got the chalice you know yep. and and it's actually maybe more noticeable than it would be because it's got the smoke coming out or whatever it is uh mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. to that effect yeah. so that's a great example because i can look at that and i can see oh this is cool now it's a cool modeling project uh he has taken orcs he's playing them as sisters but you know what orcs are a lot bigger body he's actually at a disadvantage in a way i would say and not only that the things are very clear so it, it that's just a, a positive thing uh, i think and, and kind of what should be the rubric if you're setting out on that journey yourself yeah and and if you're getting excited about kit bashing and getting a little stressed out by the idea of just like oh no it's not going to match they're not going to see it as a challenge that, that that's how i see it honestly it gets me excited when i look at a bunch of sprues like okay what can i make look like a crossbow what can i sell to look like uh the not prosecutor um the one that has like the the flamey mace um is that pious form no no that's last no, no, edition no no, no no the novitiate it's um preceptor preceptor okay yeah the preceptor with the big mace um yeah just like what can i get to sell that like i i i like the challenge in that so don't see it as a limitation see it as a challenge mm -hmm. of your kit bashing just to try and prove to the other person that you put in the time to make your models fair to them across the table absolutely and one of the things that i would say is uh if you're just starting or if you're looking you know and you want to kind of know like what could i do that wouldn't cause any problems or something like that i would say my favorite kit bashes and something that is just like awesome to play against a lot of times are the ones that experiment with some little known corner of the lore like mm. uh, let's say you're doing space marines you could do historically accurate horus heresy squads you know from like a devastator squad this and that and they play like with that style of using uh the rad weapons or whatever it happens to be like they're using a lot more heavy weapons than normal maybe something like that or like a my gene stealer from a crew infestation. I thought that was a really cool idea because with these, you know, it's a space marine or, you know, it's a gene stealer and the weapons are correct. I got pinged today. Someone told me to force you to start doing what I do, but with gene stealers, oh. you need to start making everything into gene stealers. I just remembered. I got pinged about that. You need to okay. do it, Chris. All right. All right. I'll do it. But yeah, it's, it's just kind of like a cool thing because, like I said, you're experimenting with some corner of the lore and bringing it to life. It's something that only existed on the pages of a book. You can still do it. I mean, hey, it's still a space marine, you know, or whatever it is that you're playing. Uh, it's just how you painted it and, and his behavior on the board and things like that. So it's cool. It lets you explore a cool aspect of 40K and you had a nice modeling experience and it's not going to cause any problems on the tabletop. And another great, um, great advice of someone who's just wanting to get started um to just think about head swaps 
There's mm. a lot of places that you could find alternative heads for the minis that fit the kits. My my first kit bash was just a head swap, and that that's snowballed out of control. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but the, my first was just a head swap, and um, that can bring a lot of unique life to your minis, and it's a good place to kind of dip your toe into. Yeah. Mm. Another weird Sheldon throw in here about kit uh, modeling for advantage would be my idea of, you know, when we look at games, workshop games uh, in history, I've always found that whatever model is bad right now is going to be good later. And so my my <laughs> idea is like for your modeling for advantage <laughs> is model all of the worst models on the team, and then by the time you finish, you're going to have the best team. <laughs> there you go, well, right? We saw that uh, with Heavy Intercessors, right? They were king of pride and yes. era. <laughs> I know. That's that's one of the worst parts about this hobby for me. My, my saddest <laughs> moments have been finding some beautiful Fromaggio cheese, you know, that you're just like, yes! And then by the time you can get it built, it's nerfed, you know? Yeah. You never even get to play it. Which would be helpful if we could see the future, right? But we can't. You know. Unless you listen to the next segment. Ooh. Now oh, who's the king man. of segways now? Sheldon. Sheldon. Stole it. <laughs> you guys need to enter the Segway Thunderdome. Segway it's it's getting Challenger hot in here, has appeared. Yeah. <laughs> the Segdagon. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so the, we're gonna uh, talk about uh, how to see the future, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what is he doing? Hopefully not just in Kill Team. Uh, Sheldon, do you have the next lottery numbers? That would be fun to have. Can Seven, you see into those? 13, 82. <laughs> write this down, write this down. Cut 45. this from the episode. I know. <laughs> Only ours. Watch but, him nail uh, it on yeah. playback. This this topic, much like, <laughs> much like um, the whole checklist approach was kind of my mind baby, uh, this whole topic is really your mind baby, right, Chris? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, to be honest, what's this all about, Chris? All right, all right, all right, all right. So, you're new to the game, but you're not new, new to the No, no, not you. (laughs) We know you're not. But, uh, you know, you've played some games, things like that, and you're looking to level up. And so, one of my favorite things to talk about with coaching back when I promoted a patreon and had people coming and was winning tournaments before the new edition came out and made me a top five player instead of a winning player uh and ruined everything was uh talking about how to see the future and you know what is the enemy doing what can you do you know uh, all these these kinds of things that put you in a proactive place help you control the board things of that nature Um, I want you, if you're listening, to be in charge of the game. I don't want you to be reactive necessarily. I want you to be telling what the other guy, the other guy, what he can do. And I want that to be a bad choice for him. Um, As a hypnotherapist, one of the things that I say when somebody comes into my office is, have you had your last cigarette already? Or do you need to go have that now, for example? Right? (laughs) So what that is, is a double bind. No matter what they say, it's what I want, right? It started before the actual hypnosis, whatever the hell it's gonna be. They are committing to that stop smoking. They are affirming, they are making a choice. They had choices, hey, maybe I wanna do it later, I'll come back, something to that effect. But the fact of the matter is, you can be doing things like that on the board. And it's a psychological way of playing that I'm just gonna jump into. And um, one way to kind of apply that very simple example that you gave to something like a war game is the way that you can kind of control the flow and uh-huh. dictate what decisions your opponent can make is knowing their rules. Yes. It is very hard to play with this mentality if you don't know what your opponent is capable of. So that's why this is a moment where you've kind of had your beginning kind of growth period or you're a veteran player and you've never really thought from this perspective you're not worrying about your models anymore. You got that on lock. What you need to start building is your knowledge and experience and your understanding of what your opponent's capable of. Because when you know what they can do, you can know what you can force them away from or towards that Uh is part of your plan. 
Absolutely. And that leads yeah. perfectly into step number one, which is how do you see the future? How do you know what they're going to do? What the heck are they doing, right? How do you see the future? Create it. Um, the fact is that you don't have to predict it first. You can think instead of term, in terms of cause and effect. Uh, action response, which we'll expand upon later. Um, and I actually have four key ways to practice this or elements that you can interact with this. So the first thing that I would say has to do with what I call honeypots. I talk to Emmanuel about this a lot. Honeypots, they draw on the flies, right? That's, that's how the saying goes. These are Make your objectives. The future. Right, exactly. So you know they want to be on that objective. And a lot of times you can start giving them problems with that in deployment. Uh, overlooking these points of the boards. It's not like, oh, I was out of position or something like that, or I have to move there. It's a part of the game. Nobody else, or, you know, the 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 people that are, you know, maybe not on the top top uh, tables, something like that, or you see it less often, are, are utilizing, I would say. Um, but you can, you can use this phase of the game where most people are thinking, hmm, where do I even want to set my models where I'm not getting shot to think about, how can I set up to give the enemy a hard time? So you want to set up overlooking these ports of the board sometimes, uh, or hover, maybe where 8-inch gives them no place to stand without getting charged, if you're playing melee, something like that. And then you kind of just start supporting the threat, right? You could say, like, okay, initiative could go to either player. So if they win it, you don't want to have a house of cards that can just crumble, so you set up another charger to where their model would be if they want initiative and charge your model you know, where where he was set up to go get them. So they win initiative, they charge. Well, you've got this other guy there who's able to go get them. So it's it's really, you know, a great way to play the game, I think, doing stuff like that. Or be within a certain range with your uh, demo, uh, <laughs> with his with his mind or whatever. You're playing vet guard. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like Emmanuel said about knowing the other side's rules. Um, maybe they're not going to charge you. Maybe they're going to throw a good grenade. Well, where is he going to be when he does that? Now your model is the honeypot, not just the objective. So he's going to move to a point where he could throw to get you there. So now you're set up with a second guy who can go get that guy right there. That's exactly what I was going to talk about because it's very easy just to silo. Okay, honeypot is an objective. Mm -hmm. Honeypot is a position for victory points, but... Honeypot is just anything that your opponent's going to move towards right. or be happy with. Um, if they've set up a sniper nest, plan something that flanks that sniper nest to flush them away from it. They're mm -hmm. happy up there, plan something that makes them unhappy up there to some other place. If it's your commandos, you know, the honeypot could be the enemy DZ. <laughs> with the oh, right. There you go. Yeah. yeah, and and then in addition to that, your honeypot can also be um, a decoy model of yours. Um, I've toyed with, I've never done this, but Ooh, I've toyed getting with there. peeking behind the veil. Um, not taking interloper, mm -hmm. but taking a commando grot and quote unquote <laughs> mispositioning that commando grot. Um, to have them shift in a way to try and take care of that, which then gives me other options. Oh, um, buddy. Yeah. You're, you're seeing the future, all right. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. that's exactly stuff that, that is coming up. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so you're just kind of tailing off on this. The model you're setting up to threaten will tell you everything you need to know, usually. So, like Emmanuel said, know that what the other guys are doing. Uh, are they going to throw a grenade? Are they going to charge? Are they going to try to shoot? What is going to be the reply? Because then all of a sudden you're able to set up a reply to the reply. And this is how things like they're like, oh, chess players see six, seven, eight moves deep. No, usually it's only like two is all you need to do. They, they, the beginning is all memorized. Beep, 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 beep. They move out in a series of pre-planned openings and responses to what's going on. They, they figured out through computer play and, you know, years and years of, of optimization uh, and, and studying chess games and things like that, what the opening is going to be. But then it starts. The actual game starts, like move eight, nine, whatever. Um, and, and it starts to get really interesting at that point. Um, and that's kind of where you want to be. And they're only like one to two ply deep. And that's how I would want you to think about this. It's the actual term in gaming talk for what is going on here is you're thinking in terms of ply. This is the beginning of if this, then play. That you're setting up and you're in charge of, you are dictating and you are 
targeting, you know, uh, aspects of psychology, actually. Fear and greed a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so one, one thing to kind of fit into that exactly is, again, I'm going to talk about commandos, is keeping dynamite around as a threat. Um, having someone want to try and overcommit to take care of your dynamite or being so worried about the effect of potentially that dynamite getting thrown that they're keeping away from one space that allows you to funnel and safely be in that space that gives you path for your commando grot to yeet across the board what have you but that that kind of it, it's almost like a reverse honeypot in that you're it's it's something that's shooting away <laughs> shooting away all the bugs right but but that's also something that you're you're dictating and you're controlling you're manipulating your opponent's movements by mm-hmm. your positioning on the board and that leads perfectly into what i've talked about with concept number two which is forcing moves so if you think again in terms of chess if you move a model that can attack the king the next move must be to kill that model or protect your king. Thus, you have another power move in uh, the forcing move. And an example of this in Kill Team would be like, say, you have a way to tag the center point early and hang back in uh, one of the tagging missions. It is now immediately on the opponent to change the situation or they're going to lose. So they now must act, and you get to now play oftentimes a very comfortable game. When I was talking about my whole checklist approach and threat analysis and stuff like that, I, I, I alluded a little bit to this and I didn't expand on it as much as you're doing it right now, but I mentioned don't forget that your own models are threatened and your opponent right. is making the same exact threat assessment against you, or the, at least they should, against your models as well. And that's part of what you're talking about using that to your advantage. Right, making a threat, not not necessarily a shot or a fight or a charge only. It, it could definitely very well be that, but also just threatening to score an objective, forcing them out onto that objective. So then they're out in the open, and maybe that was your plan all along because you're planning to get your points from someone. Absolutely, and that's kind of like the gist of the second uh, approach to how this kind of works that I found is that here you're making the opponent decide on a course of action and act on it. Um, that ideally has no right answer, right? Uh, even if they do the best available, sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. Alex mech was great on this because he always found the best reply, um, of the, the myriad bad replies that I was trying to set up for him. But, (laughs) Even if it's the best reply, the hope is that it's still not great. Because like like we talked about, move up, tag the center. If they move to take the point, they get shot. If they leave it as is, you run away with the lead. So they have to reply. Every guy they move is a guy no longer supporting X or Y or threatening this model or able to respond to Z. So things can start to fall apart there. They can get tunneled in on the board. It's a beautiful thing, guys. It's a beautiful thing. Alex? Oh, I mean, I shouldn't just point out out all good players are doing this whether they're planning to or not um i don't know how many times i've played against alex and we've both ended up in situations in the same exact game <laughs> where we both left each other <laughs> with bad decisions like i'm looking at my side of the board i was like i don't have any good moves because we, right. we talk out our tactics while we play. We're not really playing against. We're playing with. I'm like, I don't have any good moves. And he just looks at me. He starts laughing. He's like, the hell do you think you're doing to me? And <laughs> it's, it's, it's something that just innately a lot of really great players are probably already doing. But much like that kind of checklist approach we talked about, you're doing it without realizing it if you've mm-hmm. gotten there. But for someone who's not there yet, looking like, as you're saying, Chris, to level up, this is what's happening. And this is what's Mm -hmm. happening in those games with good and great players. This is what they're doing that's allowing them to swing games consistently in their favor. Absolutely. It's it's, um, helpful sometimes to have it put in words. Um, That's Mm -hmm. been kind of a thing that I've heard a a few times on this subject is that, you know what, I kind of had the gist of this, but now that I heard it explained, Mm -hmm. like I, I can understand better and you know, it becomes a little doctrine for them. So just, you know, recapping, we have the forcing moves we just talked about, which is like I said, tagging center point, hanging back, they must act, things like that. And then you have if this then, which was the first thing, which like, okay, additional example, you have that gun overlooking an objective. The opponent wants to kill that so that he can get on the point. And you're thinking, where will he go to threaten my model? 
If you can figure this out, set that up early and have another gun set up in support that shuts down that possibility, that's something that's really great because it can force trades that you know, bring you to your advantage or maybe they just don't do it, let you keep your lead. Um, basically, you know, either way, he doesn't get that objective and that's kind of what you want. Um, one note I would say on that really quickly before we move on to other types is that this is typically set up at the end of a turn. It's basically next turn, this turn. So like if possible, uh, so like if you're going to threaten a guy uh, who's on a point or something, uh, you want to kind of wait till that guy has moved and, and that support is kind of off and you're going to duck out your main threat as second to last move. And then last move, you're going to set out the support for where somebody's going to go to shoot the first guy, mm. kind of. I don't know if it's um, because of the fact that I love corn uh, and chaos, but I also have another kind of uh, little tidbit to throw in here. And uh, it kind of goes to what you were saying about like seeing the future and um, uh, the, your opponent, you know, especially like you said, if you're playing on one of these top tables is going to be doing this as well, uh, looking back at you and seeing like, well, what's his, you know, what's your future going to be, you know, uh, and you have to think about like, maybe sometimes the out of the box, uh, out of left field move, the chaotic random thing that no one was ex expecting can sometimes be that thing that like puts the wrench in the whole in all the cogs and all of a sudden your opponent's like what i was not expecting that future you know that sort of thing embrace the mess you're speaking my yeah, language yes. every every time uh i hear someone bringing up something like this i always remember a very specific game in 2018 kill team that i played with alex we were playing on arena I was in combat with one of his um, with one of his dudes. I can't remember who. Um, with one of my boss knobs, and it didn't benefit me to fight at that moment. Um, so I closed the door, <laughs> and uh -huh. and then I walked out. I walked over to a point, and I I distinctly remembering remember Alex exhaling, saying, "Huh." That was an orky of you. <laughs> and and yeah. it's, it's exactly what you're saying. It's it's making a chaotic choice, making a, a choice that they haven't predicted that you would do or would even consider. That That's also a fun way to kind of, I mean, at this point it's 4D chess yeah. where you both, you're both predicting each other's futures and then now I'm changing the future, alternate timeline, multiverse <laughs> right. theory, right? But, uh, but th that's something to also keep in the back of your mind. Yeah, because yeah. I'm a pretty chaotic yeah. player just in general. Like I'm always doing stuff that nobody expects because I'm not well, really... guys, I mean, that's the baseline though, right? People mm -hmm. come in chaotic. This is kind of like... The formula for, I mean, here's the thing, guys. Be, chao be chaotic, have fun, but check this out. Play some stuff like this and think in terms of this at least once for Bearded, okay? <laughs> try, try this at least once because this is, you know, what you guys are talking about right now is kind of the anti, uh, what are they doing, see no, the future, control the future, right? That's the next right? level, right? So then the next no, level you're taking is you reintroduce the chaos. <laughs> right. You're talking about how <laughs> to take away the initiative and the tempo that I've just worked so hard to build up. And you know one of the worst ways that that used to happen to me a lot of times was in list building first edition. I'd have just mm. the most beautiful thing that was the counter uh, chef's kiss to anything that was coming in the meta. And then it's like, wait, what is this jank weird <laughs> thing that I got paired up with round two or whatever, you know? So I, I would actually counter your counter to the chaos being the opposite of this, because the reality of this is enough good players are going to emerge practicing playing that people are going to be doing the same thing across the board from each other. So it's it's almost an important segue to remind that it's have a plan, but be flexible. And yeah. that flexibility can sometimes come in the mo in, in like if you, you can tell if someone knows what you're doing. You can yeah. tell if someone moves in a specific spot, they're, they're predicting your future. It's time to change your future and shift your plan. And that, that I think that's the nature of chaos in the predict the future kind of model so I, th yeah. I think there is i think there is importance to recognize that and it's not tearing down what you're building up <laughs> i think it's an important 
Um, I think it's an important appendix to the thesis that you're writing here, Chris. Yes, yes. <laughs> but continuing on, soldiering on as we as we always do with my now defunct um, strategies. <laughs> um, but yeah, so last thing we're talking about, you're setting this up the end of the turn and thinking about it next turn, this turn, basically, right? That's kind of mm-hmm. what you're trying to do, setting it up late. What you're doing again is you're making sure that you don't have a house of cards, right? Because at the end of the round, you don't know what's happening with initiative. And just to interject, teams that can really lean on this, novitiates, Mm -hmm. pathfinders, Mm -hmm. where initiative is your decision. If your plan, setting up the end of the turn to the next turn, involves a sister on a point, or involves someone that you can worthy cause, well, hey, you've already controlled what's happening at the beginning of the next round. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to interject that. That's something to really tuck in the back of your brain. Absolutely. And it makes it that much more powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Because now you're set up for an even bigger thing of when now you know you're getting initiative, you know these things are going to happen. So are you set up to maximize your use of that? Um, so last thing I want to say on this, uh, this one's kind of an interesting one, is the concept of poison pawns. We've talked about chess quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I believe all of this translates. Uh, so let's say, for example, this came up in a coaching game recently. Uh, I was, it was a gentleman going to be playing Drukari. And what you have is a big gunner on that team, right? Uh, that is a target. And that big, jo- that big gunner has a job. Kill X and Y. Like, you know, he was going against Chaos Space Marines. We figured there was going to be a split in that match. It's like, you know what? You're probably going to want to kill these specific guys, right? With that big gunner. But looking at that IRL coaching example, let's say you're, you know, you're playing against that split fire team of CSM. You've got that three to five cultists. You can get rid of the two Marines very early. After this is done, the opponent is still programmed to kill that scary guy ASAP, even though the job is done. So your basic troopers, yeah. your cabalites, your witches can handle cultists. So let's say you quote unquote blunder. You made quote unquote a mistake. And this is what you were getting into earlier, Mm -hmm. Mr. Emanuel. You move one big gun to the side where only one guy has a chance to get him. But to get him, he has to leave an objective he's currently standing on. (gasps) What's he going to do? That's why, like I said, I call this fear and greed a lot Mm. of times. Uh, You're you're actually functioning, you know, you're, you're... experimenting with the functional human behaviors, uh, you know, the, the psychology within with some of this stuff. Uh, and, and look, um, this is something that people casting games miss, you know. Uh, I would say a further point is that players that institute the Poison Pond concept are very rare. Um, I've had huge boofs get called caveman moves on stream because they didn't see the next turn <laughs> happening this turn. Um, they saw the mistake but missed the trap. And here's the point, guys. Who was casting that game? Multiple tournament winning players. Mm-hmm. And this is why it works. Mm-hmm. You have disguised strength as weakness. The top players did not see it. They only saw a blunder and they actually help you to defeat themselves. Mm-hmm. And Doesn't and- come up every game. But it should be on your radar, guys. And then so you that's know, the poison pond. My five D chess moment is that I just always say that I'm doing poison pond moves every time I blunder. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Aha, you fell into my trap. I wanted you to table All me. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> but some of this too is playstyle, right? Like somebody might listen mm-hmm. to this and think that that doesn't gel with them. Like we were talking about the chaos theory earlier, mm-hmm. right? The, the chaos uh, chaos theory space marines. Jeff Goldblum's yeah. face on a Space Marine <laughs> move, uh, meme. But, um, y- you know, your playstyle might gravitate towards, you know, chaotic and things like that. But some people, if you're more calculating, if you're more grindy, positional, into that kind of a thing, I've really seen this up people's games. So I would say just give it a try if you guys are listening. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it's a really helpful exercise to have, even if you don't want to be thinking of your plan. I think it's also just very helpful to think of your opponent's plan if you're gonna if you play a little bit more chaosy because your random your random decisions are likely gonna be better influenced if you're already thinking about what your what your opponent's trying to accomplish. Absolutely, and that's the thing too, is that this creates that's the whole point, is you mm-hmm. are 
creating what the opponent's going to do. You already know a lot of times what's going to go on. You know they need to move to this board, and you're going to threaten that, so they have to move a guy to shoot this guy. Well, guess what? You had a guy there first, so they can't do that anymore. And all of a sudden, it's shutting down. LVO, uh, one of the games, somebody looked, they, they were just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do here. And that this is what happens when that goes on, because every door that they go to open is locked. It's a terrible decision for them to move this guy out or shoot this guy or whatever. There's no, there's no, it, it's lose-lose. There's just yeah. this option A is a slightly less lose than option B, which unfortunately, like I said, Alex Mech always finds uh, his way to when, when he and I play. <laughs> yeah, and um, I'm going to get up on my soapbox and I'm going to talk about TAC Ops. Uh, this is probably one of the most important things. When I was mentioning at the beginning of this segment, know your opponent's rules. This is probably <laughs> one of the more important things to know about what your opponent can do. And you don't have to have this memorized. There is a large amount of time in the beginning of the game that you are gonna have to look up what their talk ops are and just refresh your memory. It's when they're doing their actual deployment. A lot of players will take you know five five minutes or something like that to do their deployment but for you to see their deployment at the end it takes you about 30 seconds like okay where are your plasma gunners where where's your melee beat stick okay and where are your orders got it it doesn't take you that long you don't have to watch them do their whole deployment to understand what they've done at the end of their deployment so use that time just to open up the core book real quick flip to their um flip to their page and um just see what archetypes they can take and just see what um what tack ups they can have and just make a mental note of like okay this is probably what they would do on this map Absolutely. And, that, and that's that's really helpful to know because that's the hidden part of their plan that you're not necessarily going to know it's like oh that's right they can take central control there's mm -hmm. a point in the middle that's going to be a lot more important than i initially thought it was going to be Something right yeah, and they maybe they took a uh, attack op from seek and destroy that is like get a kill with an X of your DZ, and mm -hmm. uh, they have a big alpha play that they can do yeet a guy across the board and grenade or something like that. Well, you know that's now a honeypot, isn't it? You know mm -hmm. where they're coming, and, and and it all works together. So manuals attack ops theory and the honeypot theory from old beer, they, they go chaos. together, right? And, <laughs> and, well, that's the chaos, right? Is that, chaos. that crazy? The chaos always comes. That grenade coming is chaos. <laughs> but you can tame it because you can say, okay, what are the avenues of approach? You know, I'm defender. Where's he going to come? So let's set up a thing to where, you know, you can respond to what's going on. Or maybe uh, Tyranids were really good at this because they had uh, the, the move before the round started ploy mm -hmm. and things like that. So you could actually bait and then run. And then they were like, oh, no. Or you could get a charge mm -hmm. off before them. You know, you win initiative. A lot of times, guys, these big turn one move plays hinge on who won initiative. And you can be defender, win initiative anyway, and really catch out some of these, these you know, Vanguard type moves. Totally. Things like that, if you're able to see the future. Um, well, so real quick, I know that um, this is kind of out of left field, but I really want to hear the story that Emmanuel teased in the last section where he was saying that he got called out on modeling for advantage. Oh, just to close spicy. out this episode. Oh. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. We'll have story time with, uh, with Uncle Emmanuel right now to end <laughs> the episode. Uh, it was at a tournament. I'm not going to say where, when, who. Um, and this is actually, oh, this is actually helpful because I forgot to mention this. Whenever you do a custom kit bash, if you're going to a tournament, get it approved by the yes. team. Yes. 100% yes, yes, yes. of the time. I do it in the planning stage, and that's just because I have easy access to Sheldon, honestly. <laughs> I don't go through the effort, but um, get it approved by the TO, and it helped me in this situation. I was playing a player. He was playing Necrons. This was last edition, and end of turning point two, I um, was about to table him, and he got very upset. I was playing in just uh, the the pods or the, the Sunday. Gentleman's I GT. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh. And I brought my uh, Gork Knights, which are Grey Knights. They're orcs stuffed in barrels. They're bigger than than uh, than Grey Knights, so there was no <laughs> problem with getting them approved. But this guy started to get all huffy because I mean, it's not fun to lose, and he wasn't being very graceful about it. And uh, he's like, "Ah, oh, you're not even using official models." And 
To which I had a witty response like, well, it's all GW plastic. These barrels came in the Minotaurum <laughs> terrain pack. He did not like that. He got really upset. And I called over Alex Dolbert, who was one of the TOs for that event. And I said, um, can you confirm with this guy that I, um, I, I got these approved? And he says like, oh, yeah, I saw those months ago. Those are fine. Those, those are honestly a disadvantage to him. So, of course, they're fine. And the guy got <laughs> puffy and he scooped. Um, so <laughs> that's the story. Uh, okay. uh, that's probably the one bad tournament experience I've actually had. Um, and I've been to a lot of tournaments, so kind of use that as a motivational kind of uh, thought. But uh, that's the one time that uh, modeling uh, my kit bashes uh, were met with ire, but because I got it approved by the TO, it wasn't an issue. I think he was just... Uh... Uh, confused because they were just so sneaky in those barrels. He was like, you can't be playing with just barrels. (laughs) Where's your models? All you got is terrain. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Maybe give uh, Seeing the Future a try. This has been Beernid. You can find me at uh, youtube.com forward slash Beernid, I think. Just just type in Beernid 40k. (laughs) Yeah, type in Beernid 40k on, uh, on that there YouTube and you'll find me. And I've been Emmanuel. You can find me and my buddy Alex on Strategic Advantage on YouTube. And you can also find my Instagram at eman.paints. And I'm Sheldon, and you can find me at killteamstream.com and everywhere Kill Team Streams can be found. Warning side effects may include awesome Kill Team stuff. Thanks for listening to the Kill Zone Podcast. Your home for real talk for competitive Kill Team. Brought to you by the Frontline Gaming Network. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.